years, and we had the opportunity to work with some illusionists for a couple of different things. We actually did some halftime magic shows for the Orlando Magic basketball team in Orlando, Florida, and it was really awesome. And even though I was allowed to learn the secrets, I actually had to sign a paper that said I would never reveal the secrets, which is kind of cool. So I can't tell you how it was done because it's magic. Um, But it still amazes me to watch people like David Copperfield and, and Penn and Teller and David Blaine. These guys are just, they're amazing at what they do. And in my opinion, my humble opinion, the best illusionist is the street performer, the guy who can come out and do illusions and do magic right in front of your eyes and you can never for the life of you tell very much for that introduction fat rock that was very nice of you i've never had such an elegant introduction before well thank you very much thank you everybody for showing up here there you go thank you okay okay, yeah sure what you're mentioning magic i'm kind of like beetlejuice you mentioned it one time i show up you don't even have to say it three times you're here so boom i'm here wow well hey since you're here Dazzle me. I'm going to dazzle you. I'm going to start with this lovely young lady right here. We're going to start with, uh, you know, I hate cliche magic. I like to be original. I don't like to do anything that's unoriginal. So if you don't mind, would you mind picking a card? So (laughs) I show everybody here this card is sort of like me. It's all mixed up. You can say I'm not going to shuffle. But if you would, just place your finger on the back of the card of your choice. Just place your finger. Are you like that card? Do you want to change your mind? You like that card? Okay, we're going to take that card. And what I like to do is I'm going to turn my back to the audience, and you show everybody in the audience that card. The amazing thing about this card trick is that it comes with an insurance policy that guarantees it could work. I like working with insurance because I don't like messing up. So, just right quick, I will go ahead and reveal, just by mind reading, that she has the three of clubs and just showed everybody in the audience the three of clubs. So, no applause. (laughs) All right, don't show me the card. Apparently, we have got to go to the insurance policy here. Read the terms of the policy. It says, all parties involved must be dealing with a full deck. (laughs) You're out of here, Fat Rock. Oh, I I thought that was at you, not me. (laughs) Probably both of us. There you go. <laughs> All parties involved must be dealing with a full deck. Uh, we must uh, also, this policy is not valid on Sundays. Oh, my goodness. Well, they must take the day off for a day of rest. Um, <laughs> however, I think if we look very closely at this policy, I do think that we are covered <laughs> under this policy. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate you just to come in just right quick. I do have one other little quick thing I want to do. One thing I love doing with magic is I get to work with all these pretty props. Okay, I got this jewel jeweled here. This little rod's got all these pretty colored jewels on it. And uh, if you look real close, there's another set on the back just like it. So, man, what I'd like you to do is just get, there's six jewels. Give me a number between one and six. Yes, out loud. Three. One, two, three. She went straight for the diamond. The ladies always go for the diamonds, don't they? But let's watch very closely as we watch the bar. And right quick now, they have all become diamonds. And if we watch very closely on the back, there are also diamonds on this side as well now. So thank you very much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rub the back of this. I'm going to get my jewels back, and there's your diamonds. And yes, you can't. She's wanting to look at that thing. She had her hand held out before I could. Oh, she, she wants so. the ring. <laughs> Thank you very much. I've got another show in the other room, so well, appreciate your time. Sorry don't forget your insurance policy. Oh, yeah, my insurance policy. I don't want people reading that. I've divulged uh, confidential yeah, secrets. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Trace Cooper, ladies and gentlemen. He came from nowhere. It was like magic. He just showed up. You know, today we're going to continue 
unpacking the mysteries of sound doctrine. And we're going to talk about how sound doctrine is needed for studying and understanding the Bible. Uh, because I think our, our understanding of sound doctrine impacts how we're going to look at the Word of God and how we're going to study it and share the Bible with people. But the first thing we need to do is we need to consider what the Bible is. And, and so my question for you is, is, what is the Bible to you? Is it a magic book? Just a, oh, there it is, a, a book that you just open at random for, for a moment of spiritual guidance. Is that what the Bible is to you? Is, is that where it's on the coffee table and you're having a bad week and I'm just going to find something good? Uh, just that moment of spiritual guidance. Or is it like some street magician? Just, just pick a verse, any verse, and I'll tell you what verse you picked. And most of you picked Jesus wept. See? How many, you know I was right. Um, Sometimes we, we do. We kind of play Bible roulette. We just open it up and, and we think pointing to the scripture is going to fix our problem. Maybe for you, the Bible is kind of an of a archive of Hallmark cards that you always just go to it to find the right inspirational verse or the right inspirational thought for the day or for the season of your life. Or maybe you have a friend like that that, you know, I'm, I'm having a tough time trying to figure some things out. Be still and know that I am God. That's what it says in the Bible. You know, I didn't want that. I just wanted you to listen. Maybe, maybe for you, the Bible has only been a set of prescriptions, if you will, for moral self-improvement, kind of a, an anthology of inspiring myths. When you're just looking for something and you're not sure what it is and you're just going to turn and whatever comes up, you're just going to follow it. But I want you to understand something as we talk about sound doctrine, as we talk about using uh, sound doctrine to understand scripture, I want to be very clear about what I'm going to tell you today because you need to understand the Bible is none of those things. It is none of those things. The Bible, in one word, is revelation. Okay? And I'm not talking about the last book of it, although I did have a really good class on that this last year. Um, but the Bible is, is revelation. God has chosen to use the Bible to reveal himself to us. Not like some magic trick, but who he is, what he's about, what we should be about. God uses the Bible to reveal himself to us. Every single word of Scripture is breathed out by God. And in order to really grasp the concept of sound doctrine, you need to understand that in the Word of God, there are no loopholes, there are no contradictions, there are no insurance policies, if you will. You see, the authors of Scripture were from different cultures. They had different personalities. They wrote in different genres, and they wrote at different times. But every single one of them was carried along by the Holy Spirit so that they spoke from God. Second Peter 1.21 says in the contemporary English version of the Bible, the prophets did not think these things upon their own, but they were guided by the Spirit of God. They all wrote the very words of God. The Bible is revelation. The Bible is also a story. It's a story that preaches a message from beginning to end. The Bible tells a single story of salvation from creation all the way through, through the fall of Adam and Eve into sin to Jesus, his saving work on the cross for us and the eventual restoration of God's rule over all creation. The Bible tells a single epic narrative and it spans from Genesis to Revelation and it's our job as individuals to understand it and to read it and to share it. You see, it tells the story of how God has worked out salvation for his people through his son, Jesus Christ. But this isn't just an illusion. This isn't just a good idea. It's not a magic trick. It, it's not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. It's nothing up my sleeve. It's a story that really happened. And it's a story that we live in. You see, in order to experience God in our lives, we Christians can and must plot our lives on the timeline of the Bible story, which means you need to know where you are. Let me explain it this way. We live in the time after Jesus' death, 
his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that's the time we live in, but before Jesus' final return. The Bible story explains where we've come from. It explains where we are, who we are, and where we're going. What I want you to notice is how sound doctrine arises from this story. How it's it's not just a good idea, but sound doctrine is an integral part of this whole story. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that that it is yours. That that as we study scripture, I thank you that we can know it came from you. As we look at today how we can apply sound doctrine to our lives, how we can apply it to studying your word, how we can use your word to show us what sound doctrine is, I pray that you'll just open up our hearts, open up our minds, uh, guide us, direct us, but show us, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Let me share this with you, kind of a snapshot of, of how scripture is set up. From creation, and then these are kind of the things we can learn about God as you go through the Bible. From creation, we learn that God is powerful, holy, and wise. Okay? You can, you can learn all that from Genesis chapter 1, right there. From the fall of Adam and Eve, we learn that God is perfectly just and his anger burns against sin. And that's, that's key right there. God's anger burns against sin. All right? Don't. Uh, we're, we live in a world where everybody wants to. To match sin with the sinner and label us that way. And, and all the Christian cliches are, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. And that's true. God's anger burns against sin. There's consequences for sin. There's still redemption. There's still love. There's still forgiveness. But there's still consequences. Hence, we're not still in the Garden of Eden because of the consequences of sin. But, but it was God's, God's anger burns against sin. But he's also merciful. And he's patient. He's patient with sinners. Oh, that makes me happy. He's patient with sinners because that's what we all are. And in the life of Jesus, in Jesus' life story, we see God's holy and merciful character, and it's perfectly displayed. In the death of Christ, we see God's justice and his love working together to accomplish his plan of salvation. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see the victory over death that God promises to all of his people. And then in Jesus' promise to return, we see God's faithfulness. And in looking towards eternity, we see that there's lavish generosity towards God's people because there's nothing that's going to be better than eternity in heaven. I promise you that. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is revelation. The Bible is a story that preaches a message, but it's also an instrument in God's hand that carries out his redeeming work. Hebrews 4, 12 um, and 13 tells us that when we read scripture, we're confronted by the very voice of the living God. Listen to this. Verse 12 says, "What what God has said isn't only alive and active, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. His word can cut through our spirits and souls and through our joints and marrow until it, um, excuse me, until it discovers the desires and thoughts of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from God. He sees through everything and we'll have to tell, and we will have to tell him the truth. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says that God's word is invincibly powerful. It never fails to accomplish his purpose. Here's what it says. Verse 10, rain and snow fall from the sky, but they don't return without watering the earth that produces seeds to plant and grain to eat. Verse 11, that's how it is with my words. They don't return to me without doing everything I send them to do. 
Wow. Those purposes, by the way, include things like saving people from their sins, sanctifying those who are in Christ. First Peter uh, verse, chapter 1, verses 23 through 25 says, Do this because God has given you new birth by his message that lives on forever. The scriptures say, Humans wither like grass and their glory fades like wildflowers. Grass dries up and flowers fall to the ground. But what the Lord has said will stand forever. Our good news to you is what the Lord has said. God's word has been around and it will continue to be around after we are gone. John 17, 17 says, your word is the truth. So let this truth make them completely yours. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, 13. We always thank God that you believe the message we preached. It came from him and it isn't something made up by humans. I like that. The word of God is not something made up by humans. You accepted it as God's message and now he is working in you. That's amazing. So if the Bible is a revelation of God's word and it's a story that that preaches this revealed message to us and it's an instrument that God uses to carry out his redeeming work and I'm up here telling you today that sound doctrine is for understanding his word. Why do so many people say that the Bible is confusing or hard to understand? Have you had that conversation with people? Well, I try to read the Bible, but I don't understand all that stuff. I think that too often we're reading it wrong. I think we read the Bible wrong. Scripture tells us, it tells a unified story from the beginning to end. But putting that story together is not as simple as just reading straight through from Genesis to Revelation. How many people have done that? Read straight through from Genesis to Revelation. God love you. I, I get caught up in Leviticus and sometimes just have to throw in the towel. What's all this about? It's not always that simple. Um, Too often, when I talk with new Christians, I hear them say, I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. And I usually say something like, man, that's awesome. Start in Matthew. And they go, that's not the cover I was going to start in. I say, I know, I know. But but here's the thing. Um, When we do that, uh, you know, and and I encourage them, you know, start in Matthew or, or start by reading a part of the Old Testament. Read Judges. Read, you know, get into some things. And here's what I mean. I want to give you some tips. You can write these things down. These are tips for reading the whole Bible. And I think if you write these down, it will actually help you. Um, And in doing it this way, it will help you to find sound doctrine and not confusion in Scripture. First off, as you read through the Old Testament, read through the sections. Read them as books. Okay? And I know this is doable. My 10-year-old just finished reading a 700-page novel about, I don't even know what it was about, um, but it was kind of cool. He did share some of it. But if he can do that, he could sit down with one of the Old Testament books and read through it in the same setting. A couple chapters at a time. Dedicate a few days. You're, if you sit down and you say, I'm going to read all, all of Genesis in one day, you're, you're probably not going to make it. And you're going to get discouraged. And that's not what God has in mind. So, so break it up. Read, it, read, read sections of it. And in a few days, you'll have it finished. It's going to help you to see the bigger picture. The Old Testament books, I see them as as a big picture of things that are going on. So look for these things as you read through the Old Testament. You'll learn things like the overall history of Israel, from the patriarchs to the return from exile. And as you read through, pay special attention to what God does. In the Old Testament, God sets up covenants that he makes with his people. Guys like Noah and Abraham, the whole nation of Israel, he makes covenants with. And, and look for those things when you're reading through the Old Testament. He makes covenants with King David, just to name a few. But he also, he, he makes new covenants too. 
And he promises, the neatest thing is, is Jeremiah, because God promises in the book of Jeremiah um, that, that each, excuse me, look for the covenant that God promises through Jeremiah, because that's Jesus coming. I'll get there in a second. Each blessing that God gives through the Old Testament, each covenant adds another layer to the unfolding of God's purposes in creation and his purposes in redemption for us. Something else I want to encourage you to do is, is to read and reread the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read and reread those. Um, each one of the Gospels shares a great picture of Jesus um, as the fulfillment of all these promises that God made in the Old Testament. And so as you're reading these things and you want to know if they came true and if they happened, you can do what they call a cross-reference. You can jump forward to the New Testament and start blending these back and forth. And it really opens up what the Bible is saying. As you read through the Gospels, pay attention to connections the writers make between Jesus and the Old Testament. Um, You'll notice the Gospels continue the Old Testament story of God's saving acts. And it reveals the focal point of the whole story, which is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Um, Also, when you're reading the Bible... Write in it. It's okay. Okay? I, I remember when I was a kid, my parents would be like, don't write in your Bible. Now, don't draw pictures in it. Okay? But it is a tool. You can. You can write notes in it. You can make notes in it. You can put sticky notes in it. You can fill up your Bible with questions and then go back later and find the answers to those questions. Um, but we need to pay, pay special attention to because the New Testament authors oftentimes will quote or make a reference to Old Testament passages. And that's where the light bulb will start to go off. And you'll be like, oh, now I get it. It makes sense. Uh, in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47, Jesus taught the apostles how to interpret the Old Testament correctly in light of his death and resurrection. He says to them, while I was still with you, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the books of the prophets and in the Psalms had to happen. Then he helped them understand the scriptures. He told them, the scriptures say that the Messiah must suffer. Then three days later, he will rise from death. They also say, excuse me, all the people of every nation must be told in my name to turn to God in order to be forgiven. Did you catch that? He, made it, he told them, everything that was written about me has to happen. And, and it's really cool when you start to unfold those things all throughout scripture, how the Old and the New Testament work together to share this story. Study the places. Look for the places where, where the biblical authors put together pieces of the whole scripture. Places like Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7, just before he was stoned. Or Paul's sermon in Acts 13. It's where Paul unpacks for everybody how Jesus' life, death, and resurrection fulfill what God has promised. Look in Galatians. As you read through the book of Galatians, I'm going to preach on... Um, oh, excuse me, that's Ephesians I'm going to preach on. I'm not going to preach on Galatians. Never mind. Uh, when, But in Galatians 4 and 5, Paul explains how the gospel fulfills God's promise to Abraham. And it also brings an era, um, brings an end to the era of the law of Moses in Galatians. And and it it helps out because a lot of people say things like, well, you know, if the Old Testament is so good, why don't we study it anymore? And why does it matter? And stuff like that. And it it shows us the answer to those questions. In Hebrews 8, 10, um, excuse me, 8 through 10, where the author shares with us how Jesus' death is a perfect once and for all fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. We don't have to sacrifice anymore. Jesus took care of that. And the goal of all of this is that we will come to understand the Bible's single unified story. It's important that each and every Christian learns to read and understand Scripture for themselves and then apply it to our lives. I believe when we read the Scripture as a single story, it brings the greatest rewards. It enables us to climb to the peaks of what God has revealed to us 
and to catch a view of his epic plan that stretches out before us. I also believe that when we read scripture in this way, we can understand its message better. The, the message of good news can get lost when we aren't reading scripture properly. Have you ever done that? Have you just grabbed a scripture and you read it out of context? That's what people do when the world says, well, well, you know, in the Bible, people killed each other. So God must not care if you kill people. It's like, no, that was a whole, read the whole chapter, read the whole context. Look at everything. Something we can do to make sure that doesn't happen is to understand God's character. And, and when we look at God's character as it is revealed to us in scripture and understand that God's character matters for how we live our life today. Let me explain it this way. When your life seems out of control, we, we need to know because it matters to us. We need to know that God is utterly sovereign. No matter what's going on in your life, when you think it's out of control, you need to know, like Romans eight twenty eight. we need to know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have a hard time or that the life isn't going to be a little bit difficult, but it means that God has um, your best interest in mind. It means that for everyone who loves him, who serves him, who follows him, he will work things out. Excuse me. Uh, when you're going through a painful trial in life, has anyone been through a painful trial in life? It's good to understand that it matters that God is good. When you're going through a painful trial in life, you need to understand that God is good. Psalm 106, you should mark that down and read the whole chapter. At the very beginning of it, a nation asks for forgiveness. And I want to read these first three verses of it because I think it just it sets right in here. Because if you're asking for forgiveness, that means that you've, you've obviously done something dumb. <laughs> or, or we'll use good words here. I'm going to say the nation has gone through a painful trial, if you will. But it matters that God is good when we go through that. Because here it says, we will celebrate and praise you, Lord. You are good to us and your love never fails. No one can praise you enough for all of the mighty things you have done. You bless those people who are honest and fair in everything you do, they do. And he goes on and on as a, as, a, as a repentance saying, hey, we know we've messed up and you're, you bless us when we come back around. When you're burdened by sin, it matters that God is merciful and gracious. It matters when you're burdened by sin that our God is slow to anger. It matters when we are burdened by sin to know that our God is abounding and he is steadfast in his love for us. It matters. And you're not going to know that if you're not spending some quality time understanding Scripture. It matters that He promises to forgive our sins. You see, every aspect of the Bible's teaching is relevant for how we live life today. A lot of times people say, well, that, that was written 2,000 years ago. How is it relevant? Because it's alive and it's living and breathing and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Understanding this as, as an individual Christian is what will help you to develop sound doctrine. Understanding and knowing what the Bible says. You know, we all start out like infants. This is a great day. I have to use Patricia as an example because of her baptism. We all start out as infants when we become new Christians. Our understanding is simple. Uh, we have said, I remember I was eight years old when I got baptized. And here's what I knew. Um, I loved Jesus. I had made mistakes and I didn't want to go to hell. That's good theology for an eight-year-old. That's pretty sound doctrine for an eight-year-old. But if that was all I still believed at 42, we would, <laughs> y'all be in a bad spot if I was your preacher. <laughs> because it's simple. We've sinned. God forgives sin. We read John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
And we go, I come to, you come to an understanding that we've sinned, that we've, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of God's glory. We follow the example of Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're made new in Christ, but if we don't ever grow beyond that, we just become a congregation of infants still feeding on milk, being tossed back and forth by our world and, and by our watered-down understanding of theology. And friends, we can't allow this. As we look to do different things differently in the next 10 years. That includes the time that we spend studying and understanding God's word. Because sound doctrine is what happens when we go from milk to meat in reading and understanding God's word. We have to begin with the conviction that scripture is the word of God. We must be in the word in the same way that we're in our favorite TV shows every week. If you want to go from milk to meat, you must read and reread scripture. You must hide God's word in your heart. Because when you do this, you will grow in true knowledge of God through Scripture. When that knowledge becomes a foundational thing in your life, you will begin to experience God through sound doctrine. Not because of my amazing preaching abilities, but because you have grown in understanding of God's Word. And you have allowed sound doctrine and study of God's Word to shape and grow you. From an infant to an ambassador for Christ in our community. That's what sound doctrine will do. As we come to our response time today, my prayer is that you've been encouraged and challenged by what you've heard. You know, the focal point of every message that I share with you this year is that we will figure out ways and understand ways through Scripture to experience God in our lives as a congregation and as individuals. Through His Word and in our lives, we'll find an understanding of sound doctrine is the foundation for that. Think on these things now. And if you need to start fresh with baptism, we're ready. Now, now's a good time. Maybe you're in need of repentance and rededication and accountability as you grow in the word from milk to meat. The elders are here and the, we've got an area we'll go and pray with you. Maybe you'd like to partner with us as we reach into our community and share the good news and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Part of our response time also is that we're going to share in the Lord's Supper with one another. Mike is going to share some words with us here in just a second. And I just want to encourage you all that as you take the time to reflect on these words and examine yourself against Scripture, and then come and have communion. And be ready, because sound doctrine will change your world.